The city had no shortage of movie theaters, some huge, high-ceilinged cathedrals to cinema with chandeliers and red carpeting. They were the uptown ones. Then there were the smaller, mid-sized ones that were pleasant enough, ones that showed movies suitable for the whole family. And then there were the small art houses, the ones that didn't put a premium on housekeeping, vacuuming, or wholesome snacks. They had stained carpets and torn curtains. The chairs were tattered cloth, and the restrooms, if any existed, were to be avoided. They were the ones, mostly found in the village, that played the cult stuff, movies that wouldn't be caught dead on Broadway. These were the ones I loved and spent hours in. There were some that survived to this day, but back in the 60s and 70s, they were like the roaches that inhabited them everywhere. A couple actually made history, one being the first movie house to show films that started at midnight. Another pretty much single-handedly made a film famous. And the rest kept alive the old Hollywood, showing black and white films from the golden age, virtually the only places to experience an old film the way people did when it was released, unshackled by the dimensions of the television screen. One of my favorites right in the neighborhood was the Elgin Theater on 19th Street and 8th Avenue. Now it is the very prestigious home of the Joyce Theater Foundation. Back then it was the somewhat seedy old theater dating from the 1940s that showed black and white classics. It also, though, along with Laurel and Hardy shorts and Buster Keaton classics, was a place to see film by some of the up-and-coming directors who couldn't attract attention from any other theater. Guys like Andy Warhol, Jonathan Demme, and some Italian guy named Scorsese. I spent many hours at the place with friends and alone. Most people went to the Elgin alone. It secured a place in New York movie history when on December 18, 1970, it showed the first midnight movie. The movie was El Topo. It was a Mexican Western fueled by some serious acid, a surrealistic, sadistic story of a gunfighter's quest for enlightenment. The Elgin played it at midnight seven days a week for a solid year, and the theater was never empty, not once. I remember going and being intrigued, repulsed, and confused by the film, so of course I went back to see it countless times. It is still one of the strangest films I've ever seen. Some, like Roger Ebert, considered it a bit of a masterpiece. Others, like Vincent Canby, thought it was a big con. No matter what people, critics, and viewers alike thought of the movie, everyone was agreed that the Elgin was ushering in a new, little-appreciated art experience. It was celebrating film in a way, unfortunately, most, most other venues were not. It was taking a chance on the changing taste in cinema. Another favorite was the 8th Street Playhouse between 5th and 6th Avenues in the village. It dated from 1929. And in fact, it was a theater that presented plays before becoming the first true movie cinema in the city, whatever that meant. It quickly became known for its quirky film festivals. One was an only 3D films, another infamous one was the self-proclaimed Sleaze Fest. Another was films shown previously only in drive-ins of the Deep South. You get the idea. Its indisputable claim to fame, however, was in the early 70s, they played the Rocky Horror Picture Show every Friday and Saturday night for 11 straight years. It had previously been in residence at the nearby Waverly Theater. After a while, the cult grew and moviegoers and employees of the theater alike would come in full costume and act along with the cast up on the screen, filling the aisles and the small lobby with song and infectious laughter. Other area theaters were soon were clamoring for print of the movie to create their own social phenomena. I would go at least once a month to keep up with the latest sideshow the very talented moviegoers who identified with the film so strongly provided. 
In fact, after a while, they were the reason I went back, having seen the actual film enough to last a lifetime. The real show was taking place in the theater itself, not up on the screen. The Bleecker Street Cinema was another favorite, located off of LaGuardia Place. It opened in the 1960s and showed independent and experimental films, quickly carving out a niche for itself in the blossoming village art scene. It became world-renowned when no less than Francois Truffaut compared it to Cinema Technique in Paris. Not bad for a small family-run place. Plus admission was a dollar. It was kind of cool that the theater played films made by guys like Truffaut and Kubrick, and on any ga- given afternoon, you might actually run into one of those people, as they themselves frequented the theater to enjoy the showings as well. I just remember that there was a cat that lived in the place, named Breathless, of course, a homage to Truffaut. And every once in a while, he would get behind the screen and insert himself into the scene being shown. His antics broke the crowd up, no matter what the movie, no matter what was showing. He was a local favorite, a star of the screen, and quite literally, sometimes he emerged from it. Then, of course, there was the St. Mark's Theater on, where else? St. Mark's Place. It showed a random collection of daily double features that were basically chosen by the manager. It was unique in that because of its size, it utilized a rear projection technique, so the film was projected onto the screen from behind the screen through a mirror. I remember always wondering why every film I ever went to see there looked fuzzy and out of focus. And then when I learned how the films were shown, it all kind of made sense. Yet it was still fun to sit in the clouds of reefer smoke, watching a racer head, at least I think it was a racer head, or some such indie, and then head out for some cabbage soup and a bagel at Kiev on 2nd Avenue. I just had to remember not to sit in the front row, because that row was reserved for members of the Hell's Angels. And lastly, though I could go on and on, for honorable mention, we have to go out of the village uptown to the Thalia Theater. Again, a place that showed old films not found anywhere else anymore, though not as many indie or experimental ones. It showed comforting classics from the 30s and 40s and was my go-to place to catch the old Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce, Sherlock Holmes films. They would run them in rotation throughout the year, and they were always a joy, like revisiting an old friend. While the movies were quite unique to the 1970s crowd, the theater itself was a bit unique as well. It had a sloping floor, a scientific-sounding parabolic reverse floor, supposedly ensuring that every seat in the house had the same clear view of the movie screen, with no obstructions like uh, the big-headed person in front of you or a fat support column. I didn't really understand the science behind it and came to question its validity when more than once I did find myself behind one of those columns holding up the ceiling. Clearly, I must have been sitting in the wrong part of the floor. A version of this theater still exists uptown. It's part of something called Symphony Space, and now it is called the Leonard Nimoy Thalia Theater, as a generous donation from that gifted actor indeed saved the place from becoming just a memory. So there you have it, the cream of the art house crop from back in the day. I miss them all. They were not fancy, not anything like the uptown joints, like the Capitol, the Rialto, the Strand, the Roxy, or, of course, Radio City Music Hall. No grand staircases here. These were intimate, sometimes too intimate, dark spaces for those that crave the screen and its flickering images, that loved to bask in the glory that was cinema, to marvel at what an imaginative director and some solid acting could accomplish. But the golden age of movies marches on, transforming itself yet again. You may have to search a bit, but there are plenty of gems still to be found. 
The only thing missing are those funky art houses that catered to that specialized version of Bohemia that characterized the city in the 60s and 70s. The city I grew up in and loved, and of course, miss. Rob. <laughs>